My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Um, as I've mentioned many times on this stage, maybe over the last uh, five months or so, however long we've been in this, is I have a one-year-old daughter, and uh, she is everything to me. Um, as you guys know, as I talked about locking the house and never letting her leave. Um, but one of the things is I got a lot to learn in parenting. I've, I've figured that out this year. I, I, I ask a lot of advice. There's a lot of things you can do as a parent. You're told don't do this or do that. Um, I don't know a lot of things, but I learned one thing that works really, really well. And I learned that if I turn on Monsters University when she's not doing well, it gets her to be quiet and it gets her to be still, which is a Pixar movie. And so, therefore, if she's having a cranky day, I turn on Monsters University. It's like, man, I've become the best parent ever. And then if she's not, if we need her to sit still because we need her to do something or that, we turn on Monsters University. It's great. It's like, thank you, Pixar. I appreciate you thinking of me however many years ago. Some of you are like, Taylor, I don't even know what you're talking about. What's Monsters University? All right. What, what, what is this? Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, um, it's because you don't have parents that are, or you don't have parents. Whew. You don't have kids that are of a very young age. Or it means you're like one of those really, really good parents that don't turn on the TV when things start going bad. And so to that, I tip my hat to you and I say, you win, all right? Uh, But parents like me who are struggling sometimes to just make it to the next day, we praise God for the Disney Plus app. Um, So... Uh, If you don't know what Monsters University is, it's about a one-eyed monster named Mike Wazowski. And Mike Wazowski, the dream of his life is to become a scarer, uh, a professional scarer. And so he goes to Monsters University to be in the scaring program. The problem is the dean of the university declares that Mike is not scary and therefore kicks him out of the program. And so the rest of the movie is about Mike bringing together a bunch of ragtag monsters, the underdogs, and competing in the school's scare games for a chance to get back into the scaring school. So I just summarized it for you. That's all you need to know. All right? I saved a lot of you um, some precious time. Um, But when I'm not thinking about uh, Jesus, I'm thinking about Mike Wazowski. That's what you need to know. And I've watched this movie so many stinking times over the last year, uh, which really leads us to this conversation my wife and I constantly have. And I'm always asking this question. I'm like, you know, what if Mike was scary? You know, like really, like we find out he's not scary in the movie, but what if we find out he's scary and he actually gets a legitimate chance to prove it? 
Like seriously, this is the conversation my wife and I have. This is how you know you've reached parenthood. When you're no longer talking about like, man, what are we gonna do tomorrow? And I go, hey babe, do you ever wonder if Mike was scary? Like, do you wonder? Like, I, I, and I know it ruins the whole movie, but these are the things that go through my mind as I sit there on the couch with my little baby Joe and we talk about things. <laughs> and so as I think about that what if, I, it makes me go back and I think about like, what if Mufasa doesn't die in Lion King? You know? What if Nemo never goes missing? Like, I know, I'm ruining the story. There's no movie without it. What if Maximus and Gladiator is never captured, his family is never killed? What if that doesn't happen? What if Jenny never dies at the end of Forrest Gump? I know, seriously. I know it doesn't really change the movie so much, but some of you are like, I haven't seen it. Thanks for ruining it for me. Um, what, if, what if the Titanic never hits the iceberg? Then we don't have a really good long movie. All right? Like, that, that's the questions. I, that's what I think about in my time as I sit there on the couch and watch Monsters University, right? Which leads us all to the question of what if. Like, because all, we all ask that question. We all go back to moments in our lives and we go, what if that didn't happen? What if that moment that I, I can't stop repeating didn't happen? What if dad never left? What if mom was still in the picture? What if... I was never adopted. What if that abortion never happened? What if the affair didn't happen? What if I didn't lose that job? What if you won that achievement that you deserved? How would that have changed the story? What if you never got caught? What if that person that you love so much never passed away? I think we all have what ifs. And I think while those are relational, we have what ifs that go, what if I didn't make that mistake? A lot of ours are action oriented in how we have come up short. And I think we sometimes get in moments where we repeat those and we go, what if that didn't happen? How does that change the entire story? How does that change our life? And now the thing is we could go through and, and do the same thing with the Bible. We could start asking what ifs of the Bible. We can go, what if David never commits adultery? And what if, he never cut, what if he never kills Bathsheba's husband? What if Joseph is never sold into slavery? What if Samson never tells Delilah his secret or where his strength comes from? What if Judas never betrays Jesus? I mean, we could, we could just go down this rabbit hole, right? We could keep going. But the one I want to focus on today is what if Peter never denies Jesus. That's what I want to focus on. Because I believe as we enter into John 21 today, that's what it's all about. It's all about that moment of Peter's denial of Jesus. And so therefore, I want to go back and take us through this moment because we didn't talk about it when we were going through John 18. And that's where the denial happens. And so if we go back to John 18, we need to remember that Jesus has been betrayed. He's been handed over. He's going to the cross. He dies for the sins of the world. Like that's, that's where this is going. And right after he's been handed over, he's being led to the high priest house for a rigged trial before the religious leaders. 
And as this moment is going on, there's actually a kind of a side story going on, a a subplot you could say of where we're seeing Peter deny even knowing Jesus. And so as they're led into the high priest courtyard, we have another scene going on. And this is where I I wanna lead you today, which is right here in the scripture in John 18. It says, there's this woman standing there and she's asked Peter, you're not one of the man's disciples, are you? Meanwhile, Jesus is being interrogated. He says, no, he said, I'm not. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves. And Peter stood with them, warming himself. So here we see Peter denying Jesus, which means what, it kind of brings the question for us. Peter's not, he's in the vicinity of Jesus. He makes this declaration. He doesn't even know Jesus. And so I asked the question, what does it mean for us to deny Jesus today? Like, what does it really mean for us? And that could, be, that could be just for some of us as simple as downplaying our faith. Whether that be around non-believers, whether that be around friends, whether that be around anyone. Just downplaying the fact that we believe that Jesus is Lord. Going to this word believe and going, I, am I really convinced Because if we're convinced, I think that changes the way that we engage with our friends. So I believe that one of the ways that we deny Jesus is by downplaying our faith or disregarding it altogether in the fear of persecution because that's where Peter's at in this moment. Peter's denying because of fear. Well, they're gonna kill Jesus. They might grab me too while they're at it. And so we look at all these moments and even beyond that, let's not talk about our friends. Let's talk about the ways that we can deny Jesus when we pick something over him every day. Now that could be drugs, that could be alcohol, that could be social media, that could be television, that could be sex, that could be whatever the heck it is that you look at that thing, that very thing, and you go, Jesus, I love you. I go to church most of the time. I say my prayers. But in this moment, You're not enough. Now, we may live as if Jesus is enough 90% of the time. I'm not denying that. But where I think that we deny Jesus daily, momentarily, is when we take moments at everyday life and we say, Jesus, you're not enough. And we go, I can't forgive them right now. I can't let this go. I can't make your kingdom the first thing on my mind right now. I can't, I can't do that because I don't think you're enough. And so I think we all have these moments where it's all of a sudden we go, oh, I'm Peter. Like I can relate to Peter. And this isn't to put you down. This isn't to do any of that. This is to go, man, I relate with the character of Peter in this. And the toughest part about it is sometimes we can live with denying Jesus once or making that decision once. But then all of a sudden there's another moment that comes in the journey and it's like, oh, I just denied him again. And again, because consistently we make that decision that Jesus, you are not enough. And Peter does the same thing in this moment. He denies Jesus once, but then he denies him a second time. He says, meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire, warming himself, they asked him again, you're not the one of his disciples, are you? He denied it saying, no, I'm not. And then he does it a third time because two's not enough. But one of the household slaves of the high priest, the relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? Again, Peter denied it and immediately a rooster crowed. As I said, Peter's, Peter's afraid. 
He's afraid. He's afraid of the simple fact that he might die or he might be captured. But we could also say that Peter's having a moment of weakness too. Peter's experiencing this weakness of where he can like come up and go, yeah, I, I believe. I, I know that guy. I know Jesus. And yet Peter goes, we don't know what's going on inside of him. We don't know all the things. But Peter goes, no, I don't. I don't know. And it's in this moment that we understand that Peter, if we look at another, if we look at another gospel writer's account, that Peter walks away from this moment and he's devastated. He's crying. He's in tears. Because this is the very same man that goes, Jesus, I'm going to follow you to death. That's what he said before this even happened. And, P- and Jesus goes, no, you're not, Peter. You're actually going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And here on the third denial, the rooster crows. And so everything's going through Peter's mind this moment going, I came up short. This is one of my best friends. This is my best friend. I've learned everything from him. I have failed him in his moment where he needed me most. You can imagine the shame. You can imagine the failure. You can imagine the cycle on repeat in Peter's head and running away going, am I of any value to Jesus? Like, am I even, am I even worthy to call this guy my friend or for him to call me his friend? And so therefore we see Peter having this what if moment in his life. And I can only imagine as the days go by, he's sitting there going, what if I just, even on the third time, if I just went, yeah, I know him. I've gone everywhere with him. I mean, like, can you imagine? Peter's playing that out. Like, if he would say something different, if he would have just declared that Jesus is Lord, if he would have just said that and been bold, how would that have changed the story in Peter's life? And yet he has to wonder what if. And as he wonders this what if is how we come into John 21 today. And what Peter does and what we all do when we feel like we've fallen short is we go back to what we know. We go back to what we understand, what we can control, what is familiar and normal to us when we feel like we've lost all hope, when we feel like everything has fallen apart in our life. And so what does Peter do? He goes, Jesus found me as a fisherman, and now I'm going to go back to fishing. And so this is where we enter into the story of John 21. Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. I'm going to what I know. We'll come too, said the other disciples. So they went out in the boat and they caught nothing all night. That sounds like my fishing trip. <laughs> you know, a lot of us have unhealthy habits in our life. And I'm not talking just about the things that we run to, but I'm talking about the way that we handle people and deal with people and conflict and issues and relational brokenness in our lives. We have habits that we run to. We have things that we go to that we know because it's easier to do that. Some of the, one of those things that maybe it is for us is we're never wrong. Like if we get in a conflict or we have any issues, we like to place the blame on others. It's their fault. I've always blamed other people. I'm going to continue to blame other people because I could never do anything wrong. And we, we realize how ridiculous that sounds, but we don't catch our blind spots when we're doing it. 
We don't know how to say I'm wrong or I'm sorry. It was never shown to us. It was never modeled to us. And so therefore, why would we ever do that in any of our relationships? Some of us like to become the victim. That's what we run to. That's, that's our unhealthy habit. It's like it's easier to be the victim. It's easier to be the one who's, who's everything's happening to them. Everything's going wrong in my life. Everything's falling apart in my How could you do that to me? How could you, do it without even thinking about your own actions? And so you become the victim because it's easier to become the victim than it is to take the responsibility and lead through it. And maybe, maybe yours isn't those. Maybe the thing you run to is just the self-talk of where you just beat yourself up after you make a mistake, after you fall apart. It's like, I'm not, I'm not trying to become the victim. I'm not trying to blame others. Actually, what I like to do in those moments is I like to just beat myself up. Like, I can't believe I fell short. I can't believe I did it again. I'm so stupid. I'm such an idiot. Here I am again, doing, I don't deserve to be anyone's friend. And we all start and just start talking to ourselves. And if we listen to the way we talk to ourselves, we go, would we talk to anybody else that way? So why are we talking to ourselves that way? Well, I, I, I can do that. It's, it's me. I, I deserve it. I, I, that's the habit that you run to. That's the thing that you know, so it's easy to go to. And maybe it is something you run to. Maybe it, maybe it is something unhealthy that helps you feel like you can control the pain in your life that you're going to. But we all have something that we go to in moments of frustration, pain, and hurt. All this stuff that we go to when it feels like we maybe have made a mistake or we have fallen short or our life is coming undone. And that's where we find Peter. He's like, I'm going fishing. And can I just say something to you? They didn't catch any fish, which I think is a great great example of how when we go to what we know we can see the results of what that gets us when we go to things that we're used to when we go to things where it feels like we have control of the situation like look at the results look at the fruit from that there's nothing when you run to anything but Jesus you're going to have to keep going back and back and back because it just doesn't do it anymore. And so you keep going back. And it's at this moment, though, where the grace of Jesus shows up in the story. Because they're out there fishing, and P Jesus shows up on the shoreline, and he's probably too far off for them to recognize who he is. And he, he's looking at him, he's like, hey, have you caught any fish? And the embarrassing, no, we haven't. You know, they're yelling to the shoreline. And all of a sudden he goes, hey, put your nets in on the right side. And so they put their nets in on the right side, and all of a sudden they have this huge amount of fish that come out of it. And then and they can't even haul it in. And it's at this moment that Peter learns that that is Jesus who is yelling to him. So Peter throws on his tunic. He goes running through the water to be with Jesus. And this is where we engage the story at the next, the next verse, because here it is. Peter runs to him. He's on the shoreline. He's sitting there. Finally, the other disciples show up. They're about to have some breakfast. And this is the verse we come across. It says, when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Now, I want you to see something here that I think is really, really important to the story today. I want you to see that charcoal fire that Peter's sitting around. 
I want you to see that. And then I want to go back to where Peter's first denial happened. And I want you to see this as well. He says, the woman asked Peter, you're not one of that man's disciples, are you? No, he said, I'm not because it was the coal. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. There's a charcoal fire with Jesus here in John 21, and there was a charcoal fire back during the first denial, during his denial period. Jesus is recreating a moment that Peter would like to forget. Jesus is taking Peter back to a place that has so much pain and so much hurt and so much emotional turmoil of failure, loss, all of it. And Jesus is like, no, I'm, I'm bringing you back. Did you know, now let me, let me get science on you here for a moment. Did you know that scent, the most familiar scent, can bring back the most lost memory? Like it, it, seriously, it can. Let me, let me explain how this works for you. It says a scent is a chemical particle that floats in through the nose and into the brain's olfactory bulbs, where the sensation and is first processed into the form that's readable by the brain. And so the brain cells then carry that information to a teeny area of the brain called the amygdala, where emotions are processed. And then the adjoining hippocampus, where, <laughs> where learning and memory formation take place. Therefore, when we look at this, the scent actually of, a, of this moment is going to bring back emotions, and it's going to bring back memory. And I think we all can imagine that a charcoal filer has a distinct smell to it. And so this very moment that Peter is being thrust into would also be a moment of going like, I I don't want to be here. I've been trying to forget about this. I've been trying to let this one go. Jesus, I don't know how to forgive myself. He's been going on this cycle time and time again. And it's at this very moment around this charcoal fire that Jesus wants to restore Peter. Jesus wants to speak into the pain and the hurt and everything that Peter has on repeat. And so this is the conversation that takes place around this charcoal fire. It says, after the breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. So Jesus asked him, do you love me? Peter goes, you know I love you. And, and here Jesus is commissioning him saying, hey, Feed my lambs, feed my sheep. And so then all of a sudden, he asked the question again right after that. He says, Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Same question, same command. And then a third time, because two's not enough. He asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you, Jesus said. Then feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three. How many times did did Peter declare his love for Jesus? Three. There's no coincidence. Jesus is taking this moment to restore Peter. I wanna wanna invite the worship team up as we just kind of close here. I know you guys are like, 26 minutes, Taylor. Dang, you're going, you're getting done early today. (laughs) We're not done yet, hang on. (laughs) No, but what I wanna say in this is, I think what's so interesting about the text is that 
Peter looks at Jesus and goes, you already know. Like, you already know. You are fully God and fully man. But you already know. Why are you asking me this? Which I think is a good question. I think is a really good response. Like, Peter's upset about it. He's frustrated. Is he frustrated because he's questioning his love? Or is he frustrated because he's like, you already know that I love you. So then why is Jesus asking the question to Peter if he loves him? Now, he might be asking, do you love me more than fishing? Do you love me more than the disciples? Do you love me all these things? Great. I'm not here to debate any of that. But I think sometimes in following Jesus, in going to Jesus, we, life happens to us. And in life, we have moments where we get to deny Jesus because we look there and say, Jesus, you're not enough in this moment. Like, I believe you're good. I trust you. I, I want you. I, I know you have lots of grace. But it's in this moment that I look at you and I go, I, I don't know that you're enough. And I don't know what to do about it because I just keep doing the same thing time and time again. And I keep picking something else over you. And when we do that, all of a sudden, that's the very thing that causes us to fall from a relationship with God. And we start getting on repeat and we go, I, I can't even, I can't even be good enough. I'm not, I'm not good enough to come to church. I'm not good enough to walk through the doors. I'm not good enough to make it to my small group. Like, I don't deserve this. That's, that's where we start going with this whole conversation. And we start, we start looking at our performance and thinking, and looking at that as the identifier to go, well, I'm good enough. And Jesus in this very moment wants to go to Peter and go, Peter, Peter, Peter. And I believe he goes to the same thing to us. And he goes, Taylor, Taylor, Taylor. Why would your weakest moment define our relationship? You know it's not your weakest moment that defines our relationship, right, Taylor? It was my weakest moment. It's not, it's not about you falling short time and time again. It's not about you feeling like you're not good enough, but it's actually about my weakest moment on the cross that officially and forever defines our relationship. Don't forget that. And so I believe that Jesus comes in to the scene and he wants to restore Peter because Peter's gonna go off and be a part of the church and proclaiming the message and thousands of people are gonna to come to Christ and he's gonna be one of the reasons why we're here today is because of Peter, the guy who came up short, the guy who walked on water and fell, the guy who kept opening his mouth time and time again. It's like, Peter, could you get it right for once? And Jesus goes, Peter, don't miss it. Our relationship is not defined by your performance. Our relationship is not defined by your weakest moment. It's defined by mine. So stop it. You know, I asked the question at the beginning, I go, what if Peter doesn't deny Jesus? What if he doesn't deny him? Well, can I tell you something? We don't need John 21. We don't need the last chapter. We don't need it. Because this whole chapter is about restoring Peter. 
So can I say something to you? You're sitting there, some of you out there are going, what if, what if this didn't happen? What if I didn't do this? What if I didn't fall short here? What if this didn't go wrong? What if they never left? What if this, you keep playing over these scenarios and in the moments where we ask what ifs, I will tell you something, God is writing another chapter. I say, what, what, what if Peter doesn't deny Jesus? Well, then John 21 is not required. There's no restoration needed. Peter's perfect. What if this thing doesn't go wrong in your life? Well, can I tell you something? God is writing another chapter because of what you think is the end. God is saying, no, 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 this is the beginning and I want to restore you and I want to remind you, I am writing another chapter in your life. Now, I don't know what that chapter is and I don't know what it looks like and I don't know what it entails, but if I know anything about God, he's not gonna let anything separate you from him. He would send his own son to die on the cross to win you back to say, this is the main picture. It's not about whether you love me. I want to remind you something. It's about the fact that even when you fall short, even when you come up empty, you still love me. I think we need to be reminded of that sometimes. That we don't take the whatever percentage of our life where we deny Jesus or we feel like we're not getting it together and go, I can't do this. It's not about, it's, it, this moment between Peter and Jesus is about Jesus reminding Peter that Peter loves him. I don't think Jesus was sitting there going, I, I, don't, I don't know if you love me, I'm a little insecure. I don't think that's the story. And so I wanna sit here and I wanna invite you. I wanna invite you to believe. That's what I wanna do. That's how I'd like to end this. I wanna have the prayer team come forward. If there's prayer team in here, I don't know where they're at. If they're, you guys are sitting there, just come forward. You can come underneath the screens. And, you know, I know I, I started a journey here at Sunrise. It's been a long time. And I remember sitting over here at one point in the journey and I was just at the end of my rope and I just, I just needed someone to tell me to be able to be there for me and to remind me that God's not done with me. Like even in my weakest moment, even when it feels like it's like, I, I don't deserve grace, I don't deserve it. I needed people, I needed a community to remind me that my relationship with Jesus is not defined by my weakest moment, it's defined by his. And so I just wanna encourage you this morning, wherever you're at, I'm gonna encourage you to come forward and to pray with someone. Because that's what I needed. I needed. I needed to be encouraged to come forward, to take that step, to get out of my, my insecurity, my fear, my cycle of what if, and just come forward and let someone just pray with me and talk to God with me. And that's what I needed. And I believe that's what Peter needed. And I believe that's what you needed right now. And so I'm gonna encourage you to come forward. I'm just gonna pray right now. I'm gonna pray for those of you who don't know Jesus. If you would like to receive Jesus, if you would like to make that declaration this morning, I wanna invite you into that. And you just have to say these words and then I'm gonna encourage you to come forward. So Father, man, for those of us out there who don't know Jesus, who are questioning Jesus, who've never made a commitment to Jesus, Lord, I pray that we would just echo and say these words, I surrender. I surrender.
And so Lord, may they, may they, may we just surrender this morning. May we say, Lord, I believe in your death. I believe in your resurrection. I believe that you've called me. I wanna surrender my life to you. I wanna trust you. I wanna give it all to you and believe that you restore me. You make me new, that there's mercies new every morning. God, I believe that, I trust that, I surrender that. That's all you have to do and Jesus accepts us. So Lord, for those out there who need to surrender, who need to give their life to Jesus, just may they say these words, I surrender. Amen, amen. If that's you, you can just come on forward. I know it's, I know it might be embarrassing, it might be crazy, but this is church and we're all broken. We all need someone in our lives. And I, I can't tell you the pain of sitting in that seat and not coming before people, how much greater that pain is than the feeling of being up here and exposing my life and my weaknesses and my failures before someone. So I would just encourage you and I would challenge you to take that step. Don't come in going, I believe, I believe. No, no, do you really believe? Do you really trust? Are you absolutely convinced? Then make that decision and come forward. Make that decision and pray with them. We are not people who are perfect. We are people who are wrestling and struggling together. And this is your church family. And I would say, take a chance. What if, what if you came forward? I don't wanna, I don't, don't ask the question, what if you don't? 